Well, fall feels like it's finally getting here. Anybody else enjoying that? Enjoyed the rain yesterday? Looking at the forecasting in 60 degrees all week? It's fine. The leaves are starting to change. It is a good time. And if you're looking for maybe a good book to read, as you know, you spend the afternoon kind of, you know, I'm going to maybe get on the couch, get cozy, look at the fall weather starting to come in, and just read a good book. I probably recommended this before. I would highly recommend the book Unbroken to you, the book Unbroken. And maybe you've, you've seen a movie, uh, that movie, but I would encourage you to read the book because just like every other movie book relationship in the history of humanity, the book is better, okay? So uh, go ahead, read that book. It's a story, it's a true story of a guy named Louis Zamperini in World War II. And before that, he ran in the Olympics in 19... 36, but then when war came along, he was in the Pacific Ocean, and he was on a plane that went down, and he survives the plane crash, which is impressive, but then more impressive was him and one other person surviving the next 47 days afloat and adrift in the Pacific Ocean on a flimsy inflatable raft, surviving the heat and the sun, figuring out how to get food and water, surviving attacks from sharks from Japanese fighters, and sometimes both at the same time. I mean, you will have a hard time stopping, putting this book down. It is a page turner, and even just in that part. And then finally, after 47 days, they see land, they they go ashore, and you think, wow, they've made it. They survived. They're free. Well, not so much, because the island that they go ashore on is controlled by the Japanese, and instantly they become prisoners of war. And they find their experience there is they they wish they were back on the raft. Uh, Especially Louis, he was singled out to be abused and tortured and humiliated by his guards. Uh, And this lasted a a long time. But then finally, spoiler alert, the Allies win World War II, in case you didn't know that. And so they are liberated. They are free. And he gets to go back home. So finally, after 47 days adrift, after all that time in the POW camp, he is free. But it turns out still not quite yet because he is still captive to all the things that had happened to him. He cannot shake what has happened. And he, he has nightmares recurring of all the things that he has experienced. He's, he, he's totally addicted to alcohol to, to help himself get through this. His marriage is getting destroyed. There were times he would literally wake up with his hands around his wife's neck because of the dreams that he was having. His life was was headed towards disaster. And then one day he walks into an evangelistic crusade there in Los Angeles. Some young preacher named Billy Graham uh, was, was preaching. And that night, Louis gives his life to Christ. And he finds his life changed. He finds himself able to forgive the people that had hurt him. He finds a new power to live a different and free life. Because even though he was physically free, even though he wasn't enslaved to some raft in the ocean or enslaved in a POW camp, he was a slave. He was not free. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is freedom all about? Because it's possible to have every physical and political freedom you could ever imagine, yet still be held captive. What is true freedom? And that's what we're going to see Jesus answer today. So I'd invite you to take your Bible and open it up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We've been going through John chapter 8, and we're going to finish up the rest of the chapter today in verses 31 through 39. 
And we're, it's likely we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles there in Jerusalem. It might even be the same conversation where earlier Jesus points at these lights in the temple courts and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And at the end of that conversation that we looked at last week in verse 30, it says, And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. But we've already seen in John that just the people that say they believe in him, that doesn't always turn out to be genuine. And we're going to see that today as Jesus, he, he kind of challenges this crowd. And normally we print the whole, the whole text for you there on the worksheet, but we're going through a big chunk today, the Gospel of John. It comes back to a lot of the same themes, so we want to keep moving uh, through them. And so we kind of put a little outline of the text for you there on the side. And the first section really is Jesus talking about this idea of true freedom and offering it to them. Follow along as I read verses 31 through 36. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So there we see the offer of true freedom. Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, and abide has this idea of remain, so these people, hey, you're my disciples. Well, if you remain in my word, if you stay there, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you, if you know the word, you follow the word, then you'll know the truth, and that will set you free. And he even gets more specific. He's talking about, clearly, freedom from sin. See that in verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then Jesus makes it clear what he is offering. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But already in that first section, we saw an objection. The Jewish leaders don't think that they need this freedom that Jesus is offering because they say, we are offspring of Abraham. And it says, we have never been enslaved to anyone. And Sometimes people in response to Jesus, they kind of make some obtuse statements that you're like, wow, you really don't get it. And, and I don't think the Pharisees could be this obtuse because the Jewish people have like an incredible history of slavery, right? They started out 430 years slaves in Egypt. So I, I don't think that they actually even genuinely mean, oh, we've never had political enslavement to others. But I think they are talking about some kind of spiritual freedom. And Jesus is explaining, no, you don't have that because you're a slave of sin. And then in verse 37, I call it there in that outline, the problem of mistaken identity, Jesus really addresses this. Okay, let's talk about Abraham being your father. He says in verse 37, let's go through this next section together. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Guys, obviously I'm aware you're Jewish people. You descend, you're descendants of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. All right, now at this point, when Jesus is saying, you have done what you have heard from your father, who is he referring to? Speak to me now. Who is he? The devil, right? 
Now, he doesn't say that yet. He's going to get there, but we can see that's where he's going, but they're going to object again. They're going to go back to the same thing. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what your father Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Comes right back to the idea, you're doing the works of your father. We know there he's referring to the devil, and he'll, we'll see that more explicitly. But just to give us the flow and to summarize what's been going on here, Jesus is saying, um, okay, yes, you're technically descendants of Abraham, but you're not acting like him. You're not the spiritual descendants of Abraham. You know, even as we say today, a chip off the old block or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's saying, you're not doing what Abraham did. I'm doing what my father does. But if Abraham's your father, you're not doing what he did. You're doing what your real father does. And we, we know who he is talking about. And even there, when he says, this is not what Abraham did, I think there is some pretty rich meaning there. We don't have time to, to go there, but just jot down Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Now, this summer, I, I, I taught one of the days at our vacation Bible school, Camp Compass. And, you know, like every vacation Bible school in the world, that every word, there's like a new word of, of the day. And so I'm kind of getting the notes out that were sent to me of what I was supposed to teach on. I'm like, all right, what's the word today? Expecting, they were all C words this year, so I'm expecting like, you know, creation or cross or something like that. And I look at my notes and it's like, the C word is Christophany. And I'm like, this is the kids stuff. So if they, and they actually did a good job. So if they can handle it, you can handle it. But what does that word mean, Christophany? Well, the ophany part kind of means to, to be revealed, to be, to be seen, and then the Christ part, well, that's talking about Christ. And it's a theological term used to refer to times where we see Christ appear before the incarnation. And you might say, well, what, what is that talking about? What does that look like? Well, that's what Genesis 18, I would say, I think that's what's going on there. Because it talks about, it says in verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham. And you read that and you think like some vision in the clouds, right? But no, it makes clear there's three guys that walk up to his tent, and from the course of the conversation, it, it becomes clear two of those guys are angels, and one of those guys is God in the flesh, talking face-to-face -to, -face to Abraham. And when we think, well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who is that? I mean, there, there's some probably debate about this in some circles, and it's not like what our faith rests upon, but I, would say, I think it's God the Son. He hasn't been born. This is not the incarnation, but this is Christ appearing. And what happens? Well, you might remember some of the story. God, in the flesh, tells Abraham, I'm going to come back in a year, and your wife is going to have a baby. And what does Sarah do as she's inside the tent, you know, kind of peeking her ear out? What happens? She laughs. She laughs. And, and God knows that she laughs. And then kind of as the conversation is breaking up, remember, Abraham has this long conversation with God about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and what's, what's going to happen. Because those angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know the rest of that story. So Abraham had an encounter with God in the flesh, and he welcomed him and listened to him. So I think Jesus is being very literal, saying, you are not doing what your father Abraham did. Because when God appeared in the flesh to Abraham, he welcomed him and he listened to him. Now through me, God has appeared in the flesh to you, and you're trying to kill me. 
That's not what Abraham did. And Jesus is arguing, you are not acting like your father. And it has that same punchline. You're doing the works from your father. So then they come back again in verse uh, 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They raised the stakes. Well, we're going to, I see you're Abraham and I raised you. God is our father. And it's very possible that they're also kind of trying to throw some shade at Jesus too. And the questions around, well, who's your daddy, Jesus? Because that story, yeah, it's kind of fishy what happened when you were born. Very possible that they're alluding to that as well. And so now, Jesus, okay, you want to claim God as your father. Let's get into that. And he says in verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. Again, that's another reference, I think, strongly to the preexistence of Christ. He came from God, and I am here. I come not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And why can't you do that? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. Finally, now comes right out and says what he has been hinting at. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So let's kind of sum up what we've been saying so far, looking at these first two uh, sections. There is this offer of freedom, freedom from sin that Jesus is making. But they don't see their need for it, and Jesus tries to show them their need. And he points out, number one, you're a slave to sin. Why? Because you're trying to kill me. And last time I checked, murder was a sin. So clearly, you are a slave to your own sin. And then he goes one step further, and the reason you're sinning is because of your real heritage. The problem is you are not of God, you are not of Abraham, you are of your father, the devil. And that's the argument that he makes. He's saying, yes, you were born into the nation of Israel, but you were also born into sin. You are a slave of sin, and you need someone to set you free. So let's sum up our response to kind of these first two sections this way with point number one. Admit you were born a slave of sin. Admit you were born a slave of sin. There's a lot of cultural differences between us in our day and the people that Jesus is talking to here. If I tried to tell some of you you were a slave to sin, I doubt your first response is going to be, but I am a descendant of Abraham, so I've never been enslaved by anybody. There's a lot of differences. But... Jesus is still offering real freedom to people today, and people are still struggling to admit that they need it. We don't want to admit the problem that we have. Probably the, one of the hardest moments of my week this week was telling my son Mac that he could not come to Awana on Thursday night. Because as Pastor Charlie said, one thing right now, especially, and this is 
always the case with our kids' ministry. If your child is sick, we don't want you to put them in kids' ministry so then everyone else has to deal with uh, sickness. And Mac on Thursday afternoon was just like, you know, a fountain of, you know how little kids are, so like just a fountain of green snot. And it's just, no, Mac, this isn't going to work. And so I'm like, I'm going to Awana. He's like, but I, but I want to go to Awana. And like so genuine and heartfelt. And I'm just like, oh, buddy. And I'm just like, buddy, I'm sorry you can't go. You're sick. And he's like, I'm, I'm not sick. And I'm... And, like, as he's, like, you know, trying to sneeze, like, sniffle up all the green. I'm like, buddy, you've got, like, so much green snot. And he's like, I don't have green snot. You know, just trying to sniffle it all. And it was painful because I'm like, oh, buddy, I wish you could go to Awana. But he doesn't want to admit the problem that he has. And the reality is that's what so many people are today, but we're a lot less cute than my son, Mac. Uh, we, we look more like the Pharisees. We're belligerent, hostile not willing to admit the problem that we have, but we have the same problem that the Pharisees had. We're slaves to sin. That's how we are born, and we're slaves. We show that. I mean, Jesus says in verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's something in John, the gospel, and in the epistles, there's this idea of practicing sin, which has this idea of this is your practice, this is your pattern, this is your life. And he's saying, you, you're living a life of sin. That shows you are a slave to sin. And that's what we naturally all do. No one has to teach us to, to be a liar, like Jesus says the, the devil is. I mean, my, my kids, I never sat down, all right, Hannah, this is how you lie, right? No, it's innate. She, she wants to cover up her sin. She wants me to think perfect of her. So she, that's what she does. We, we are slaves of sin. And Jesus gets a level deeper. He says the problem isn't just that you do it. The problem is that you want it. And look again at verse 44. You might still be trying to recover from the shock of that. You are of your father, the devil. It's like, whoa. But the next line is even, I think, even more shocking. Because he says the problem is your will is to do your father's desires. So yes, is there a slavery? Totally. But Jesus is saying, you are totally freely going along with this. You are willingly doing your father's desires because that is what you want. And that kind of brings up, you know, there's probably not two words that people love to debate more about in Christianity than free will. What does that mean? But I think, however, you would try to explain the intricacies of that. There's two things we should all be able to agree on. Number one, I think the Bible clearly shows we make, as human beings, real choices for which God will really hold us responsible. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests anything other than that. You make real choices, and you will be held responsible by God for those choices. But we also see, scripturally, there is a problem with our will. That our wills are broken, that we want to do the desires of our father, the devil. We want to sin. We make real choices, but we willingly choose, I want to do what my father, the devil, desires. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's what I want, and that's what I am pursuing, and I am choosing to do that, and God will hold me responsible. Our, our desires need to be changed. I mean, many of us in this room have experienced some time or another, you, you've had to change your diet. Maybe you had some cholesterol concern, or maybe you discovered, you know, I shouldn't be having dairy or gluten or something like that, and you've had to change things. Well, that's usually difficult. Uh, let's say, you know, I need to stop eating sugar, and I need to stop um, 
having dairy. Well, guess what? Ice cream didn't stop tasting amazing, okay? So that's hard because what you should do is going contrary to what your, your desires are, okay? And so we have this problem that there is what we should do, but what we want to do is the wrong thing. We have a problem, we have sin, and we want to do the desires of our Father. We want to lie, we want to be selfish, and we're stuck with it. And Jesus comes down to the bottom line in verse 47, your ultimate origin, your problem, whoever hears the word of God, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. That's our problem. We are not of God, but we are born freely following our sinful desires and wills. And we see another example of this today. It explains it well, I think, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is the state of everyone without Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there is a sense of uh, slavery to it. But at the same time, among whom we all lived once in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's a slavery that there's this world system, but there's also a willingness, I'm doing what I want. And what that is is sin. The desires of the body and the mind, and by nature, a child of wrath. And people have a hard time accepting that. People today don't say, well, I'm a child of Abraham, so I'm, I'm not a slave, I'm free. The people today might say, well, I was born a Christian, because my father's a Christian, my mother's a Christian, my father's father's a Christian, my mother's mother's a Christian, so I'm free. Well, that's all great if that's true. It'd be awesome if you have a godly heritage, but you're not free if you're still a slave to selfishness and bitterness. You might say, well, no, I'm free, pastor, because I'm an American, and I live in Idaho. Well, we can all say amen and praise God to living in America and living in Idaho, but guess what? You're not free if you still are enslaved to your, your own anger and, and, and the, the, the heat of your, your passions and intensity. You might say, well, I know I'm free because I'm, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid of our culture. I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm against that whole LGBTQ plus revolution. Well, that's that's good, but you're not free if you're still addicted to your own lusts and, and, and trapped in pornography, right? We, we, there's good things about our heritage. There's good excuses we can say, but if we are still trapped in sin and practicing sin, guess what? You are a slave to sin who is desiring the same things as the devil, someone that needs to be set free by Jesus Christ. And we, we need to make sure that we have been honest about the depths of our own problem and realized I'm not free I can't gain my own freedom. I need some serious help. That's what the Pharisees and the Jews never wanted to admit. And that's what we need to admit because that's what Jesus is offering. Back in John 8, you know, he says there in that first verse, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That he can give us a new heart. Or as Jesus told Nicodemus earlier, your problem, Nicodemus, even though you're a religious leader, you need to be born again. You need to be born of water and the Spirit. You need to be cleansed. You need to have a new heart within you. You need new desires. Because true freedom is not doing whatever you want. True freedom is doing what you should. 
And when Christ changes our hearts, now there's what we want and what we should do are, are headed the same direction. That doesn't mean there's not a struggle in the Christian life, but now we have a new heart. God has set us free. He is offering freedom. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Point number two, find freedom in Jesus Christ. Find freedom in Jesus Christ. And notice it starts with who he is. Even there, he, he's saying the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, then you will fr be free indeed. It's because of who I am. And that's where we get into this last section. Uh, what I called on the outline there, the rejection of incarnate God. Because it really comes back to Jesus' identity, who he is. And again, they don't want to accept it. And here, the conversation kind of devolves. The Pharisees, they throw logical argument and reason out the window, and it's just noise, name-calling, and emotion. So if you're looking for a modern, kind of like a presidential debate um, is kind of what it turns into. If that's too political, I'm sorry. Um, but it just, it just gets ugly, nasty. There's nothing reasonable being said by the Pharisees. And they come into it. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus, though, he keeps his cool. He just keeps answering the questions. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge. You say, no, I don't have a demon, but you know what? I'm not really concerned about your opinion. I'm not here seeking my own glory. The father has got that taken care of. But then he responds with something else just to kind of poke them a little bit more. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And at this point, like the circuits are just fried in the Pharisees' brains, like they can barely even compute and respond, respond to this. And verse 52, the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. And verse 53 is just rich with irony. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Narrator, yes. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. They understand it. They just don't like it. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Are, are, who do you make yourself out to be? Do you really think you're greater than Abraham and the prophets? Who do you think you are, man? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So really he's saying, hey, I'm not making myself out to be anybody. I am, my, my Father is glorified. My Father is making me out to be who I'm saying I am. And then he'll go on, verse 55, to say, You have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. If I was to not say the things I was saying, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I don't think that's referring to Abraham in Genesis 18. I don't think that's referring to Abraham, you know, at He's clearly alive in some sense at that point, as Jesus explains in the other Gospels. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's not like Abraham can see him now. I think there was even an idea in Jewish culture that Abraham could somehow have a sense of where things were going. He knew that there was going to be a Messiah that was coming. And Jesus is saying, hey, Abraham, he could see what was going to happen, and he was glad. And again, the, the, 
They're so frustrated. They, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? In verse 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And one question that's clearly asked in the Gospel of John is, who is Jesus? And from Chapter 1, verse 1, I think one thing that's made very clear is Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And I don't think there's any verse that we see that more powerfully and more clearly from the mouth of Jesus himself than right here in John 8, 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And it's even so strong. He doesn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Am. Basically implying, there never was when I wasn't. I am. And that's something only God can say. And we could go back, if you weren't here last week, we, he, he references this earlier in this chapter, and we see going back to Exodus 3, out of the burning bush, God says, what's my name? I am who I am. And then we also see all over Isaiah, clearly referring to God, it says, I am he. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same exact phrase that's used here, in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. He is preexistent. He is eternal. He is God. And just in case you think, I'm getting that out of nowhere, the Pharisees clearly knew what he was talking about. Verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, the penalty for blasphemy. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They do not want to understand and admit who he is. And if we're going to find freedom in Jesus Christ, it's going to start by admitting who he is. Or one thing to write down under point to, it's going to start with trusting the person. Trusting the person. Admitting his identity. Saying, he is. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who can set me free. We have to understand and trust the person of Jesus Christ. And we mentioned this last week, but you can't do that without submission. There's no way to admit, Jesus, you are the great I am, while still trying to run the show yourself. There's no way to truly admit, you are, without saying, I am not. And clearly we see the Pharisees struggle to do that. And I think that's one of the big reasons people don't come to Christ. And people struggle with sin, and people continue in slavery to sin, because they think, well, if I'm really going to trust the person of Christ, part of that is giving up my control myself. And I think they're, they're partly right and partly totally wrong. They are right that to follow Christ means I have to completely give up control to him. I can't keep calling the shots. I have to say, he's the Lord, he's the boss. That's part of what it really means to put your faith in Christ. So it's, it's partly right. It's, it's really partly wrong because guess what? You're not in control to begin with, Right? The control you think you have is an illusion. You're not in control. You're a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're trapped in your way of life. So really, you have no control to, to give up. Even though it's right to understand, hey, if I'm going to follow Christ, that means he calls the shots in my life. It's wrong to think that you were ever really calling the shots in the first place because you are a slave to sin. Your desire is to do the will of your Father. Jesus is the only one who can give us freedom. We can't achieve it ourselves. And how does that work? Well, let's go back to the beginning there in John chapter 8, verse 31. Now that we've kind of seen the full context and where this all leads, 
Consider again Jesus' words. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we see, if you're really remaining in Christ, you're abiding in his word. And his word, through that you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, that's where you will find freedom. So as we think about finding freedom in the person of Christ, second way to do that is by, to follow his word. Follow his word. By nature, the gospel of John is very evangelistic. At the end, he says, I'm writing this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So as we go through John, it's hard for us to miss that. And a lot of the sermons kind of have an evangelistic tone, talking about what does it really mean to believe and to trust in Christ. And then considering, well, if we are Christians, then we need to be sharing Christ with other people because he is the Savior. But I don't think that means that there's not so much for us as believers to glean from these amazing things that Jesus says. Because if Jesus has come, that we might be free and free indeed, and if he wants us to abide in his word and know the truth, then the truth will set us free. It's good for us to ask, are we living out that freedom that Jesus came to give us? That's important. And one thing we need to even just start with is understanding, like we talked about in the beginning, the nature of freedom. And get rid of the idea, if you still think that, that somehow your circumstances are what are going to lead you to freedom. That's not how it works. You can have all the physical and political freedom in the world and still be a slave to sin. So even as a Christian, if you find yourself saying, well, if I could just get that job, or if we could just move into that house, or if we just get that right result in this election, then we'll be free. Now, none of those things are wrong to, to hope for, but that's not where real freedom it's going to come from. It's going to come from abiding in his word. Real freedom doesn't come from the outside in. Real freedom comes from the inside out. And it can only come through Jesus Christ. So as believers, to live out that freedom from the inside out, we have to abide in his word. And I want to turn to a couple passages in Romans that start to touch on some of these similar ideas that I think will help us put some meat on the bones of what we're talking about. First, go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and be a familiar verse to some of you, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that idea of don't be conformed to the world literally has the idea of, you know, a mold. Like, don't let the world press you into its mold. The world is still trying to shape your thinking. It still wants you to think like you are a slave to sin. It still wants you to follow its pattern and its desires. Don't do it. Instead, let your mind be transformed so that you can know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Where is freedom going to be? Where is good and acceptable and perfect. So your mind needs to be transformed, not conformed. How are you going to do that? Well, back to John 8, by abiding in the word of Christ. The word is going to lead you to the truth, and the truth will set you free. Your feelings will not set you free. The truth of God's word can do that. Facebook will not set you free. The truth of God's word will do that. Which one of those two things has more of your attention? 
Where are we looking to? What are we allowing to shape our thinking? When we let the world shape our thinking, all that we're going to find there is more slavery. When we let the word and the truth of God shape our thinking, we're going to find freedom. Freedom that then should be lived out. So go now with me to Romans chapter 6, where, again, we're going to see more explicitly this imagery of sin as slavery. And Romans chapter 6 starts with a valid question. If you really understand the gospel, at some point it's reasonable for you to ask what he asks here. Because if you really understand that the gospel is the good news, that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose again, and we respond to that, we get saved by grace through faith, not by our works. And not like, well, it's, it's mostly faith and then just a little bit of works. No, it's all grace through faith. It's 0% works. When you really understand that, you start saying, well, then if it's not of works, then why don't I just keep sinning? And even you might get to a point like he does here, wouldn't if I just keep on sinning, wouldn't that make God's grace look even better? Because look at how great his grace is. I'm just keeping on sinning and I'm still saved. It wouldn't that, doesn't that make sense on some level? And Paul says, no, 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 no. Because if you think that way, you don't even understand sin and you don't understand salvation because it's not all about forgiveness. Sin is slavery and Christ has come to set you free from that. And he explains this and kind of comes to a punchline in verse 11, Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. You need to think differently. You are not a slave of sin anymore. And one thing that I want people to understand as a pastor is when we are saved, when we put our trust in Christ, it is not just, all right, guys, here's the good list. Here's the naughty list of things we shouldn't do anymore. Be good Christian girls and boys and make sure you're not doing any of the naughty things so that you can show up to life group on Tuesday and be, look at me, everybody. I'm doing the good things. That's not why we do it. Why do we pursue holiness? Because sin is deception and death, and we have been set free from it, and we don't want it anymore. When Christ is offering us life and holiness will lead to true happiness, and we want to pursue that, which Christ has freed us to pursue. And that's what he kind of goes on to say. Look at verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as sins to or as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He's saying sin doesn't have your best interests at heart. Your father, the devil, he is a liar. He is an enslaver and it leads to death. Presenting yourselves as instruments of righteousness and slaves to God, it leads to sanctification and life. Which do you want? That's why you should say no to temptation on Tuesday. Because I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I don't need to listen to its lies and listen to its deception and reap the death that sin wants to bring anymore. God has set me free. He's given me new desires. And it is a struggle. 
Because, like we said, you know, ice cream still tastes delicious. Well, sin still looks good to us. He hasn't taken away all of our sinful desires, but he's given us a new heart and new desires. And he's saying, follow those because those lead to life and sanctification. Those old desires, they lead to death and they're full of lies. Sin's going to lie to everyone in this room this week. Sin's going to come to some of you and suggest this week, you know, maybe there's somebody out you that could satisfy you and fulfill you more than your spouse. And it's going to lie to you when all that wants for you is death. It's going to come to you and say, you know what? My life is hard. So I deserve the relief I can get through drunkenness or drugs or something like that. It's going to come to you and say, you know what? Your, your wife and your kids, they, you, they are out of control. And, and you're right when you get angry and lose your temper at them. It's all lies meant to lead us to death. Christ came to set us free from those things. We want to live out that freedom. We live in an amazing place. Can I get an amen from the congregation? But the secret is kind of out. You've noticed that, right? Uh, everybody and their dog wants to move to where we are. We're seeing construction happen as fast as they can possibly do it. Everybody is coming here, and I think part of it is people think, hey, if I live here, I will have more freedom. Maybe they're thinking, I'll have more financial freedom here, because I, you know, I'm looking at house here, and I can afford something. I'll have more political freedom here, and I think we might look around the room and say, yes and amen, hallelujah, we enjoy those things. But I'm concerned that some people, they think they're going to get freedom by running away from something. Well, the thing we most need freedom from, we can't run away from because it's right here. We need freedom from our own sin, and a change of location, a change of circumstance can't accomplish that. Only Jesus Christ can. So, every, I mean, every week at church, I'm meeting people that just moved to the area. And I want to make sure everybody knows, hey, Idaho is awesome, but it can't free you from your sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Do you know that? Have you admitted that you are a slave to sin to find the freedom that Christ can provide? And then for all of us, when we see those moving trucks down our street, somebody else seeking the freedoms of Idaho, are we thinking, hey, they're not free unless they know Jesus Christ, unless they're abiding in his word? And then are we looking in the mirror and saying, if the Son has set us free, we will be free indeed. Am I living that out? Or am I in some way this week continuing to li listen to the deceitful lies of the slavery of sin? When I don't need to do that anymore, therefore, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's listen to Him and His Word and live out that freedom this week. Let's pray together. God, Your Word is so good, and I know my words, uh, and even just our understanding sometimes is so inadequate. So I just pray that You would speak, God, that Your Spirit would be working on our hearts right now in response to Your Word. God, we praise you for the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. God, and I pray that you would open people's eyes even to, to start with to see their own slavery. That the reason they can't do what is right is they want the wrong things and they're, they're of their Father. They're not of God. But Lord, you have come to be the light of the world so that whoever follows you will not walk in darkness. God, there is a light that shines and I pray that you would shine on people here this morning, God, 
to open their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, and I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would walk in the light, that we would live in the freedom that Christ has brought for us, and that we would understand that freedom isn't just to do whatever we want. That freedom is to do what is good and perfect and acceptable to God. And that's where true joy will come from. That's where even true satisfaction will come from. God, help us to unmask the lies and the deception of the slavery of sin. And may we listen to the word of Christ. May we have our minds transformed by his word. And may we walk in the light and live in the freedom that we haven't earned, but that Christ has given to us. God, let your light shine in this community. God, as we see there's clearly... Things are moving in this community. God, we pray that you would be moving. God, moving and setting people free, not from the circumstances of somewhere else, but free from sin. God, through what Jesus Christ can do. So we lift our eyes to him. God, we ask that he would be exalted. We ask that your spirit would be at work to open our eyes and to draw us to Christ. We pray that we would live for you faithfully, God, and enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.